All right, I admit it. This is not your typical Thanksgiving scripture. But I trust we can find something for which to give thanks in the midst of it all. It's also, you can be thankful, not a stewardship sermon today. We've done that. (laughs) So often this parable is used in that way, but that's not what this is about. Parables are stories with layers of meaning, and this week's familiar story is no exception. Taken at face value, this parable is about a master who goes away on an extended trip, leaving his wealth in the hands of his slaves. And it does sound very much like a warning to take care and invest our money well, especially to those of us who live in a capital system. Or at least it does until we looked at the context in which this story is being told which is Holy Week. Would Jesus really take time to do some investment counseling with his disciples just a few days before his death? No, I don't think so. And so we need to take another look. Two of the slaves invest the money that their master has entrusted to them and make a fantastic profit, while the third simply buries it in the ground. It would seem then that this story is about being good stewards of our resources, whether we are talking about money or skills or aptitude. In fact, some scholars believe that the word talent, which was a unit of money in Jesus' day, came into the English language because of this particular interpretation. This traditional view of the story is certainly valid and may be appropriate for this Thanksgiving Sunday For one would expect Jesus to encourage his disciples to use their gifts wisely and to be aware that everything that they have is a gift from God. But again, the context of this parable encourages us to go deeper. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. Though he has promised to return to them, he does not know when that will happen And this parable is one of four that describe how Jesus' followers are to live in the meantime. Notice that the parable begins with the words, it is as if. Those words point back to the previous parable, that of the ten bridesmaids, which urges us to keep awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. To be sure, that particular sense of urgency is missing from this parable. Unlike the delayed bridegroom of the previous story, the master clearly knows that he will be away for some time and has planned accordingly. His three slaves are also clear about this, and unlike the anxious bridesmaids, they seem totally prepared to look after their master's affairs while he is away. Indeed, the master places great confidence in his slaves, for he not only puts them in charge of his household, but he also entrusts each of them with a huge amount of money. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. A talent was a unit of money equivalent to more than 15 years of a laborer's wage. It would be worth about a million dollars in today's money. It was a lot. What's more, the master leaves without giving his servants any instruction as to how they are to handle these vast amounts of cash, or probably more like gold or silver. They have the power, the freedom, and the responsibility to do anything they see fit with the treasure they have been given. That's a lot of trust. And the master's trust seems to have been rewarded. The slaves are not caught by surprise when their masters return. On the contrary, they they are quite prepared to give a full account of the work they have done while their master was gone. 
Indeed, the first two slaves are especially eager to share their success, and with good reason. Both of them have managed to double the amount of money that the master gave them. Boy, don't I wish I could talk to their investment counselors. (laughs) The master responds to each of their presentations with great enthusiasm. Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. His trust in these slaves has paid off big time, and he rewards them by promising to entrust them with more and inviting them to share his joy. Things do not go as well for the third slave. Unlike the others, he did not run out and invest the talent with which he was entrusted. Instead, he did what most people did with their money in those days. He buried it in the ground. His action reminds me of Jesus' parable in Matthew 13, in which a man discovers a treasure buried in a field, recovers it, recovers it over, and goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. If this were the same parable, the third slave would be the one who buried the treasure in the first place, only to lose it all to someone who happened upon it. In this case, however, the money that is buried remains intact and the slave is able to return every penny to his master. But in so doing, he reveals something very important about their relationship. Though his master trusted him, this slave does not trust his master. In fact, he is afraid of him, and he is bold enough to admit it. Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. To our surprise, the master responds with anger. You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap while I did not sow and gather while I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. He takes the money that the slave has given him and gives it to the one who has ten talents then has the unfortunate third slave thrown into the outer darkness, doomed to exist in a bitter cycle, an endless cycle of bitter regret, blame calling, and what ifs. This seems like a harsh punishment indeed. After all, the man didn't steal or lose his master's money. Yet it seems to me that even before this happened, the man was already in a dark place, For the money that he had been given wasn't the only treasure that he buried. He also buried the possibility of living his life fully and joyfully. Think about it. The master in this parable made an astounding, even reckless decision to place a considerable fortune in the hands of his slaves for a long period of time without any oversight. They don't ask him to do this. He initiates this action. Most of us would think twice about entrusting our bank accounts to someone related to us, and yet this man takes the risk of giving his money to his slaves. Two of the slaves respond to that trust in positive ways. They recognize that the master's action is an indication of his faith in them, and that gives them confidence in themselves and their abilities. The third slave, however, seemed to think that the master's act was some kind of trick or test. He doesn't trust the master, and therefore he didn't trust himself. He decided to play it safe. In fact, 
He played it so safe that the money was not only inaccessible, but it couldn't be spent. It couldn't be spent on food or clothing. It couldn't pay for a wedding or a funeral. It couldn't cover the cost of traveling or an education. In fact, the slave's refusal to take risks rendered the money with which he had been entrusted virtually useless. It also rendered him useless to his master. He had so much to give, but he was afraid to trust his master and himself, to step out in faith, to be the person he was called to be. In the end, perhaps the greatest treasure that this man buried with the money was himself. We true have been entrusted with great treasure. No, I'm not talking about our money or our skills and talents. Jesus didn't tell this story to his disciples to help them be better stewards of their gifts. He told this story to motivate them to live out their calling by devoting themselves to his work after his resurrection and ascension. Like them, we have been entrusted with the treasure of the message and ministry of Jesus Christ. We too are called to invest our lives in his service, to take the risk of living as he lived and as he died. Remember that Jesus tells this parable in Jerusalem near the end of what John Buchanan has called his own personal high-risk venture. We have this treasure, and yet we often bury our faith, choosing to play it safe so that in such a way that it renders us and it useless. We miss opportunities to talk about Christ with others because we are afraid we will be rejected or ridiculed. Unwilling to rock the boat, we overlook remarks that put others down and turn a blind eye to unkindness or injustice. When we are asked to help, we are careful to calculate not only our ability to respond, but also the other's worthiness to receive. Fearful of getting too involved, we hesitate to try too hard, to share too much, to love too deeply, to be too bold, and in the process, we neglect our God-given gifts and ignore Jesus' command to let our life shine. And where does that leave us? Sitting in the dark. This is just as true for congregations as it is for individuals. So often, we as a church are more concerned with our reputation than our faithfulness. We hesitate to invest ourselves too deeply in new directions lest we lose members, and we hoard what we have, fearful of depleting our resources. When we are challenged to speak out against injustice, oppression, and greed, we politely decline. Sadly, a congregation that plays it safe will soon become irrelevant and useless. Eventually, even what they have will be taken away which is exactly why we're afraid. We bury our, afraid because we're af our faith because we're afraid that we will fail and that if we do, we will not lose not only our faith, but everything else. And perhaps, just perhaps, we are a little afraid of God, too. The third slave played it safe because he was afraid of a master whom he perceived to be harsh and greedy, even exploitive, Perhaps that is how we see God, as someone who manipulates us and punishes us, a God of wrath. But look again at this parable. Look how this master trusts his servants, 
giving his entire fortune into their hands, carefully allotting to each what they had the power to handle. Look at how the master gives his slaves the freedom to use their own initiative to take risks and make decisions on their own. Look at how he receives the news of the risk taken by the first two slaves, not with horror, but with joy and the promise that all who have will receive more in abundance. And remember, too, that this master is the one who is called Emmanuel, God with us, who chose to be one of us and to share our fears, to take our risks and to raise our hopes. This is Jesus who was crucified, died, and buried, but rose again and promises to be with us always through the Holy Spirit. This is the God from whom, whose love we can never be separated and who, in the words of David Lose, trusts us with profound gifts and riches, eager for us to make the most of them and inviting us always to enter into the joy of the Lord. Maybe there is something to be thankful for in this parable after all. Let us pray. God of grace, thank you, thank you, thank you for your incredible faith in us. May we trust you enough to invest ourselves fully in the work of Christ and thus receive the abundant treasure of your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.